Welcome to Young Government Leaders Podcast, where we strive to provide early to mid-career public servants with the tools and support needed to lead from where you are. Thanks for joining us. I'm Victoria, and I'm one of your co-hosts. I have been in the federal government for about 13 years. And I'm Grace. I've been in the federal government for almost three years. Our goal with this podcast is to help develop leaders at the federal, state, local, and tribal levels, regardless of age, stage of career, or positional title. Let's jump into our episode. Welcome back, listeners. Um, Today, we have a very exciting guest. We're really excited to have Virginia Hill on the podcast today. Um, So why don't we just start by, Virginia, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you work? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Virginia Hill, and you can call me Ginny for short. I work at the Partnership for Public Service, and we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization in Washington, D.C., but really our reach is beyond the beltway, um, where we work with feds all across the country, and our mission is to make government more effective for the American people. And we do that through a variety of different things. I'll probably shout out a couple of our projects and programs throughout today. But uh, my main job is in leadership development. Um, And I fell in love with leadership development when I came to government um, in 2007. So I started my career as a presidential management fellow and was in a leadership program right from the get-go. And so I really started to catch the bug for leadership development ever since I was a federal employee myself. And then after seven and a half years at the National Institutes of Health, I came over to the partnership in 2015. And now I'm a senior executive coach. So I do one-on-one coaching. And then I also am a facilitator. So I do leadership retreats, uh, trainings, seminars, webinars, the whole thing uh, as far as the leadership development portfolio. Your perspective today will be really interesting being a former federal employee Mm -hmm. and still working around federal employees, I think it'll be good for our listeners to get some perspective on, you know, ways that you can still be involved in government, even if you're not necessarily a federal employee. So yeah, and it was a big decision to leave. I really enjoyed my time in government. What I like about the partnership is we do zoom out on federal government. So it's not just about the agency I was working at. Now I can take really a government wide approach to leadership development and see all the different best practices and struggles too that are going on within the agencies. So that's one of the things I like about it. I mean, I know you can accomplish that kind of zoom out perspective from a variety of ways, but I do know the Partnership for Public Service is a great way to do that. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm sure it's really interesting to kind of see what similarities and differences are might be across agencies. Um, Mm -hmm. In my agency, we're pretty focused on what we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, so since you're not in um, the federal government anymore, but you are still definitely connected to public service, what are some some things that keep you motivated to stay in the public service field? Well, one is really the selflessness of public servants. In so many cases, they could go work anywhere else. And they chose a government agency. They chose to work in public service and work within this system that we have. And the selflessness, the altruism, and just the motivation of public servants really keeps me motivated. And I remember feeling that and feeling very connected 
to the mission of NIH when I was a federal employee, even though I wasn't a scientist. I worked in HR, I worked in training, I worked in a few management offices. So even though I wasn't directly working on the mission, I still felt really connected. And I see that every day in my coaching clients and in the people I work with, they love what they do. Um, an example of this, I just did a retreat in Dallas, Texas last week uh, for an agency. And we did a lineup according to tenure. So how many years have you worked at the agency? The fewest years was seven. Wow. The most was 37. So I thought that was just so surprising. I mean, think about that. Your youngest or your newest manager has, has been there seven years. Um, and so the dedication that and the and like the longevity of some of these leaders really impresses me. When you talk to different organizations and agencies, um, you know, one of the things that I learned pretty quickly when I was part of one of the um, Partnership for Public Services leadership programs a couple of years ago was me being a part of the Department of Defense. And some of my cohort members were part of um, other federal agencies. And the way that their leadership styles were were significantly different than the Department of Defense because we are military and civilian Um and so sometimes that that leadership style, those leadership roles are a little bit different between those organizations. So to kind of see how we overlapped, um, we all had that same foundation of just wanting to serve, wanting to give and having that heart. Um, even, you know, um, our, our military, they're so passionate and so selfless by giving their time, um, you know, in some cases their lives, you know. Um, so when we think about the the foundations of being a public servant, of of really dedicating our life, I think a lot of the times some of our um, members, some of the people within the, the government, whether that be federal, state, local or whatnot, um, or even private, one of the big things is appreciation and recognition in the workplace. It's so essential. Can you talk to us about why it's so essential? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll actually pick up on a thread that you introduced, which is that at so many agencies, there's kind of a divide. You had mentioned with DOD, military and civilian. Well, you know, and not to diminish that because that's a real, you know, interesting difference in those two types of employees. And at other agencies like Department of State, you have foreign service and civil service. I alluded to the divide between um, me as a manager or administrator at NIH versus a scientist in a lab doing basic or applied research, right? Very different jobs, very different roles. And that divide or difference shows up at so many agencies I could go on, right? Those were just three examples. So yes, we have to pay attention to that. And actually to segue into the topic of appreciation and recognition, I would imagine we could work towards appreciating those differences and what those two types of employees or those two classes of our mission contribute instead of seeing it as, well, you don't understand me or you don't get me, uh, which was often the case at NIH. The scientists felt like they weren't understood by the people in communications or the people in science policy. So I think that's actually a place where peer to peer, we can kind of come together and appreciate what each side of the house brings to the table 
um, and recognize the contribution. Because to be honest, one can't really exist without the other. We need each other. Um, and I think another important aspect of this topic that makes appreciation and recognition highlighted for me is that too often we hear about all the negative stuff with government, what went wrong, the misappropriation of funds or the fraud or the abuse or the waste that could happen. And yes, that stuff does occur. Not going to deny it. And it's often over highlighted in the media because it's a hot story or something that people might be interested in. We don't get enough of the coverage of when things go right and when federal employees and, and again, public servants at large um, do things well, do things by the book, follow the policy. That doesn't make news. So for that reason, we almost have to overcompensate or be really intentional about recognizing public service. And um, I feel really strongly about that because what we focus on becomes our reality. And so if we're focused only on what's going wrong or, you know, the high spending or things like that, that's all we're going to see. So we really need to shift our focus into what's right with government, what's right with public service. And it's amazing how your perspective could change. Yeah, that's such a good point that we don't focus or we don't highlight when things go well, because that's you know, mundane, and that is how things should be going. So we only hear about when things don't go that way. So that's a really, a really good point. And speaking of that, I know your organization um, does a very high profile recognition ceremony called the Service to America Medals. And we actually had um, a Sammy's nominee on our podcast last season and learned a little bit about his work, which was great. So if you could zoom out and tell us a little bit more about the award overall and why it's important, um, that would be great. Yeah, the Service to America Medals or the Sammy's for short are really special because they are an example of highlighting the amazing accomplishments of federal employees in this case. Although I'm sure we can make a similar awards ceremony in every state for all the state officials and, and all the other different levels of government. So in this case, the, the Sammies highlights federal servants who have done something notable and they're nominated by a colleague, a coworker, a boss um, who has recognized their great work. Um, a couple examples, you know, and actually there's an emerging leaders category that I think a lot of the YGL members might be interested in. We wanted to, a few years ago to start recognizing people that were earlier in their career because sure, there's a management excellence category for someone who's worked in management and they probably have like 30 plus years in public service and younger or emerging leaders couldn't necessarily identify with that. They're not there yet, but we actually have an emerging leaders category um, and this year, Fletcher Schoen and Jennifer Harkins, both in their mid-30s, um, actually were the winners of this medal. And just to give you an example of some of the amazing things that Sammy's winners do, these two folks played an integral role in the release of 11 American prisoners who were wrongfully detained in Russia and Venezuela. Uh, they not only contributed actively to diplomatic strategies, um, but they also were engaged in delicate negotiations and they showed compassion. Uh, they kept the families informed. They were empathetic, right? So even in these high stress situations, they 
kept their cool and had those successful negotiations. I mean, these are public servants, right? Like these are the stories that actually do make the news. You don't always know that it was those two folks from the Department of State. Um, and there's these types of accomplishments going on all around government. And our goal at the partnership is to lift those stories up, to amplify those, to talk about them. Um, and over the last few years, we've had a really good success in getting celebrities interested, right? Because we saw through the pandemic how essential government is. And I think it got highlighted like, oh, we should all care about this. Or, oh, there's a lot going on that I should be interested in or that government touches my life. So the Sammies has really picked up in um, media coverage uh, over the last few years because of that. But those are oftentimes the big stories, right? So still, they might be the big stories. I really think, and what we can talk about today on the podcast is that managers in their own local way, in their office, um, even if you're not a manager yet, you're aspiring, uh, you can contribute to a culture of recognition and appreciation. This isn't just for award ceremonies. This really can be infused into your culture um, on an everyday basis. And that shows that the manager is not buying into the same negativity that the media might, right? They're not focusing on what's wrong, what's not working, what are the weaknesses. They can actually focus on recognition, focus on strengths of people. And what that does, it has a really surprising effect on your office's culture. Um, if we're focused on the negativity, what's going wrong, where the deficits are, that really causes a culture of risk aversion. People are not willing to put themselves out there um, or to stray from the status quo. Uh, people tend to play it safe. They don't want to mess up because they don't want to end up on the front page of the newspaper, as they say. Um, and that can really, in the long run, lead to a lack of employee engagement and a lack of innovation in government. And I think we could all agree that's not what we want. That's not the kind of cultures we want to work in. So managers, especially because they are kind of at the top of the office, uh, they set the tone. They're more visible. So I think managers or, or aspiring managers especially have that opportunity to focus on a culture of appreciation. I was just trying to think of some examples of awards or type of um appreciations. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind are the love languages, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I recently told one of my coworkers, you know, uh, my love language is affirmation. And personally, yes, absolutely it is. But also at work, um, professionally, it's words of affirmations. I don't need hardware. I don't need a bonus, which is nice, though. I'm not going to never. You're not going to turn that down. But, you know, a solid, like, fist pump. Heck yeah, Victoria, you did so well today. That lifts my spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And so ever since finding out my love language, my what makes me, what makes my heart beat and what makes me go at work, I've noticed that my coworkers have been giving me little, like, lifts up of, of heck yeah, Victoria, like, not, not in any, like, teasing way of, of true, genuine, like, they know that. Yeah, they're, they're speaking your language. Yeah. They are speaking your language. Yeah. Heck yeah. And then one of my other coworkers, um, his, his, uh, his love language is gifts. Like, he shows his 
his his love and his appreciation um through gifting things so every time he travels somewhere he gets like these little cheap pens that are just fantastic and that's just his way of showing his appreciation of i really really enjoy being your coworker i really enjoy you know being here and taking this journey with you um in this workplace but um i i find that you know people having people know what my love language is, but it's kind of weird when I go in and be like, Hey, my love language is affirmation, you know? So what's, what are some ideas to get, you know, from um, a working perspective of how to professionally tell your supervisor or supervisors trying to pull that from their employees? Yeah. You're definitely not the first person to notice that parallel. In fact, the authors of the five love languages translated that into a workplace context and they call it the languages of appreciation. So this is a real thing that you're pointing out, right? And some people might have the same in a relationship versus at work and and some people might differ, but either way, you could think about that very same concept in a work context. Now they go from five love languages down to four languages of appreciation. We eliminate physical touch for obvious reasons. Um, (laughs) And my joke is always like HR eliminated that one. Um, And so that's totally okay, right? So we're down to four. um, And those are quality time, tangible gifts, words of affirmation, which clearly works for you, Victoria, and me as well. Um, And then acts of service is the fourth one. So I could talk a little bit about each one of those, although they're somewhat self-explanatory, but um, imagine that you speak a certain language and you show up at work. And if that language is not being spoken by others or a different language is being spoken, we could certainly misunderstand each other. Or I might be in an office where my boss is trying to show me appreciation, but it's not in the way that I'm receiving it. So I might shut down or I might not appreciate their appreciation. Um, An example of that might be, someone who's really heavy on showing words of affirmation and they're giving you shout outs in team meetings, they're, you know, mentioning you at awards ceremonies or giving you like, you know, um, accolades at an award ceremony. But if your language is not words of affirmation, um, you might kind of look at that boss sideways and say, no, 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 I don't need any of this. I don't need the pomp and circumstance of an awards ceremony. All I want is I mean, take me to lunch. That's all. Just some quality time where we can just have some conversation. So quality time could be um, coffee or a lunch or just a meeting where it's not only spent on transactional activities. We're actually just asking how the other person is and we're making time for one another. And those words of affirmation um, can really look a lot of different ways. And Victoria, you mentioned a few of them, um, but they could be low key, like a handwritten thank you note. So they don't have to be shouted from the rooftops. Maybe somebody's words of affirmation, just a handwritten thank you note or a personal email um, that just specifically says what they did well would really resonate. There are tangible gifts, right? We joked about not turning down a bonus and not that that's really a thing in government, but, you know, time off awards or gift cards, um, special, you know, recognition in that way. But it could be a pen from somebody's travels or um, a postcard or something. Um, We had this really helpful um, cheat sheet of people's languages of appreciation for our team. And um, our supervisor asked, like, your favorite uh, coffee drink or snack. 
And if you had a really big day coming up, he would like stop at a coffee shop and get you that drink, or he would get your favorite snack and like deliver it to you. And that's a tangible gift, right? Costs maybe like 50 cents to $5. These do not have to be expensive. Uh, so they don't have to be as big as a bonus. Um, and then lastly is acts of service. And this one we probably underestimate. This is really just offering help and support to somebody. Uh, we often see this in leadership programs where it's, would you be willing to stay late and help me clean up? Uh, are you the one erasing the whiteboard for me while I pack up the supplies? So you're there giving of your time and of your service so that it makes my life easier. And that's um, a language of appreciation as well. Um, and again, that really doesn't cost anything except your your time and energy. So those are four different ways. And there's various spinoffs and examples of each that we can show appreciation. And my urging to people would be to both identify what resonates for you, aka what language you speak, and then also what works for the other person, because it really doesn't do much good if I'm speaking a language they don't understand. So find out what resonates for the other person. And then in an authentic way, do that. I love that. I've never thought about the um, languages of appreciation, I guess is what they're called, um, mm -hmm. being applied to the workplace, but that your boss that would go out of their way to get their employees' favorite coffee, drinks, or snacks sounds like such a gem. And to your point about there being a mismatch, I think that's a really great point. I had a boss once who would like mail us like candy all the time. And I was like, I don't want this. <laughs> like, So I know you're trying to like thank us, but this is falling on deaf ears. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, I would say that's that's a common mistake. And again, I don't think people are like upset when they get candy in the mail, but it just might fall flat. And, and mm -hmm. if you're going to go to the effort to recognize or make a gesture, let's make sure it's something that is going to resonate with the other person. And, it, you know, some people might think, oh, that's a lot of work. Well, not really. Just ask the person, how do you like to be recognized? Um, what really motivates you or what's something that like really fuels your drive and your job? How how could I thank you for that? And, and they'll know and they'll tell you. So you don't have to be kind of a detective about these things. You can just ask. And I also found it totally okay to have that cheat sheet. We just published it for the whole team because that was another way that we could all recognize each other peer to peer and not make it just a management task. Yeah, that actually is what I was going to ask about next. So as the manager, the head of the team, you know, you have, as we talked about, the power to set the stage in a lot of cases. So if you're not the manager of the team um, and you're just an employee, like what are some things that you as an employee can do to um, cultivate that culture of appreciation and show appreciation for your coworkers? Yeah, there's definitely a few things that we can do, even if we're not in a position of management or leadership, but it, in many cases you are actually leading, you're leading by example. So a few ways that people can lead by example from wherever they are um, include taking a strengths-based approach and then also rewarding effort and learning, not just accomplishment. Um, so I'll start with that second one because I want to elaborate a little bit more on the strengths-based approach. But so the first one, think about not just rewarding accomplishments 
big accolades, big successes. I mean, sure, we can celebrate those and those are great. And if we want people to feel like they can take a risk or innovate in some way, maybe pilot something new, we really should be talking about and rewarding effort and learning. So again, that could look like an award or a, you know, a fun superlative. That would be kind of fun. I knew this one agency that had an award called the Giraffe Award. And it was like a giraffe beanie baby or something that they passed around. And it was for someone who stuck their neck out. Ha ha ha. Uh, so that's something cute that you can put into your team's culture. And you don't have to be the manager to introduce that. That could be like passed around among colleagues. Um, but that way we're, re we're rewarding that someone took a risk or they tried something new. And then maybe we're having a debrief meeting, an after action review, however you like to call it, uh, where we're talking about what did you learn? What was that like? You know, um, what barriers did you run into that you could, you know, advise us about and so on and so forth. So we're talking about the effort it took and the learning you had, which is very different than just clapping for people who did well. Um, cause I think we should do that too. Um, but there's this other type of conversation where we're encouraging more of a growth mindset and we're encouraging feedback, um, and honesty. Um, I know there was, this is probably comes from a book, but one of my other managers used to have in every meeting bumps, bright spots, and bruises. And not only is that clever alliteration, but it, talks not just about the bright spots, but also the bumps that we ran into, things that didn't go to plan, or bruises like, wow, that just didn't go well, left a mark. So that's the type of thing I'm talking about that in teams, we can structure our conversations up around that. And it doesn't have to just be about the positive updates and the other stuff gets swept under the rug. But I also think there's another piece of it, which I think all people in any workplace, this is so universal. It's not just government. We can be more intentional about taking a strengths-based approach. And there are assessments around this. I get no commission for saying this, but there's the Clifton Strengths, formerly known as Strengths Finder, which a lot of people have taken. It gives you kind of your top five strengths. Um, there's also another one called the Strengths Deployment Inventory um, that looks at 28 strengths, all of which are available to you. But, you know, the point of those assessments and more is just to look at what we're good at. Um, it was actually Dr. Donald Clifton, who, who he's now the namesake of that assessment. He said, what would happen if we studied what's right with people instead of what's wrong with people? As a coach, I find that to be so inspiring um, and helpful. And I think when we get into management or when we're in a peer, even when we're leading our peers, we're often kind of at that point where we're like, um, hey, you know, what are the weaknesses? What are the problems? And we're very focused on that, just like we were talking about at the top of the podcast. Um, and so what would happen if we actually focused on what's right? What's working? And with the people focus, you know, we can actually look at what they are good at. Where would they maybe be better suited in the organization? And then finding ways to slot them into that to, you know, I hate to use a buzzword, but leverage their strengths. Um, and so we can do that for each other. And that creates such a more positive culture. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we don't give tough feedback when things go wrong or we identify a, a deficit or a barrier and we have to have a direct conversation. All that is still on the table. But when we look at it through the lens of strengths, we see it differently. Uh, kind of a little coaching fun fact is, or a coaching hack, if you will, often when I'm with a client and they're talking about a problem, I will ask them in some way, shape or form, what strengths do you already possess that you could apply to this problem? And they like shake their head in amazement. They're like, oh my God, I never thought of that. Cause they're so entrenched in the problem and they're not seeing what's good about it or, or what skills they do have. They're only seeing what they don't have. So take a strength and apply it to a problem or apply it to a difficult situation. Um, and if we did more of that, that's where we start to really operate um, in an appreciative place, in an asset-based place. And it really changes the game. So part of my job is to oversee the acquisition process post-award of grants, cooperative agreements. And one of the things that I learned pretty early in my career was um, there's not necessarily an output. There's not necessarily a specific do out of a research and development program, the success lies with that um, process of uh, development of, of the failings, the, yeah. the, the failures, which isn't really a failure. They're just yeah, the learning, learning points. Yeah, the learning points of it. Because what we find out of um, that research and those those innovative tactics and the readings is what we want. We want people to to fail. We want them to provide what they've learned because that in itself is a success. And so to reward people to, and I hate saying fail, um, is there another word for that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could just say reward learning. Reward and reward learning. making an effort or taking a, a smart risk, right? We're not going to be reckless, of course, but because that would be like overcorrecting. I'm not really that worried about the pendulum swinging that far in government yeah. where we're taking these reckless risks, you know? <laughs> no, what we're trying to do is just move the move the pendulum just slightly back where we're taking smart risk or informed risk or um, a lot of innovation talks about failing small, failing fast. Failing small, failing fast. So it's fast. not, you know, the catastrophic or the big you know, scary things that are going to end up in the paper. Cause sure, nobody wants that, but are there smaller ways where we can encourage that or, or fail small as they say? Um, but you're right. I think there are professions that are way more comfortable with this than others. I'm married to an engineer and the way he talks about problems is problems are exciting problems. Like I'm going to test out five different things and see what works. Right engineers, scientists, and so many others, they're they're way more experimental. And I think sometimes we can get way too caught up in I need to succeed and everything I need to, everything I do needs to look good. You know, I need to save face. I need to impress people. But that leads to kind of more of a like fixed mindset about things. There's one right answer and I got to find it. That's not really true, right? There's probably myriad answers that could address this problem or move the needle in some way. And what if I just took a more curious or growth mindset approach to it instead? What what would that yield? So I think, you know, I, I see it, you know, with my partner. And I know there's probably a lot of listeners that are like, oh, yeah, that's how I see it. But there might be some uphill battles with like the organizational culture. 
But I think the more we try it, the more we talk about it in a different way, we could change the culture and make it more acceptable. Oh, and that's what we're trying to do with YGL, right? We're trying to develop and empower our leaders to be that next generation. The ability for for the government to shift the culture, yes. to to be able to change that perspective. And I think that with the award recognitions and just everything that you've talked about, not only gives the the employees that that warm and fuzzy and the ability to feel motivated, um, but it also gives the people outside of the government that do see these recognition like, oh, oh my gosh, they're they're doing stuff. They they're doing that. We thought that was only in movies, but no, that is your GS 11, 12, 13s, your sevens, your nines, all of them. (laughs) They're all of them. And and to see for, for the public to see that we're just not what people think we are. We are magnificent. We are empowered. We're motivated. We're smart. We're, we're selfless people that want to make a difference. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that the more recognition that's, that's provided by our agencies, by organizations such as Partnership for Public Service that holds these award ceremonies really is starting to move that culture of people's perception about government employees. And I think that's important because if people have these perceptions about government employees, then that limits the amount of people who want to be public servants. Yeah. And it just shifts everything. So, I mean, what you do um, for partnership for public service and being a coach and all of that is just to see your impact is so incredible. I mean, I, I had a coach, um, obviously through partnership for a public service. And then once my term was done with partnership for public service, um, my coach and I, Heidi, we, uh, developed a, a, a client relationship and I sought her services afterwards, life-changing the, the program, the coaching, life-changing. I 10 out of 10 recommend it. How can people seek your services or partnership uh, for public service? Tell us about how they can get some of this, this goodness, this gold. Oh, thank you so much for those kind words. That's like words of affirmation for my employer. And we love it. <laughs> Because uh, that's what we're after. We're a nonprofit. So it's it's mission driven, right? It's not about putting on training for training's sake. Um, but you can find out more at ourpublicservice.org. That's O-U-R publicservice.org. And click on um, programs or our solutions, and you'll find all the information that you need. Of course, my team does leadership development, and we have programs for every level of leader from GS7 all the way to GS15, as well as SES. And we also do um, customized or tailored seminars, leadership development, training for agencies. So if you really think what you need is not just to sign up for a program for yourself, if you want to bring a leadership retreat or um, manager training or emerging leaders training to your organization, we do that as well. So uh, we can work with you to figure out what's the right solution, what do we offer, um, and then go through the the process. So there's really both sides, right? You can do an open enrollment program like you did, Victoria, or you can bring the partnership to your organization for your intact team. 
Um, so definitely check us out at ourpublicservice.org. If you want to look up the SAMIs, that's also on the website. And the best places to work in the federal government rankings, which use the EVS data uh, to look at employee engagement and what agencies are excelling and what agencies might need to improve, right? This is a way for people to be held accountable and then also to shine a light on the importance of employee engagement. So you'll find a ton of resources there, um, including also our public service leadership model and some ways that even no cost, no program, you can kind of guide yourself through uh, a little bit of leadership development using our public service leadership model. So I hope everyone will check that out. But, but more importantly, uh, hopefully you found a tidbit or an action item in what we talked about that you can use to be part of the solution of creating a better culture of recognition and appreciation. I bet there was at least one thing in what we talked about that you said, oh, that's kind of cool, or, oh, I should try that. So if that's true for you, like grab a pen right now and don't lose that tidbit, write it down and carry it forward because you are a contributor to your culture, right? And we all lead by example, wherever we're at. So hopefully people found that one thing that they might do differently as a result of this conversation. Oh, that's why I'm here. You know, just if someone can take one thing away from what we talk about, then that's all I, that, that I, yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> success in itself. Um, I truly hope that our listeners, either they, they take some notes or they start that conversation with their management of, Hey, have we ever thought about doing a leadership re- retreat? Um, first and foremost, it's an investment. So I hope everyone recognizes that. And I hope that you guys take a peek at um, the website Jenny talked talked to us about, Partnership for Public Services website. There's so many things to read on the website. It's amazing. And um, definitely reach out to your training coordinators within your agencies to talk about these programs, because it's certainly something that I didn't recognize as an option for me, um, being a a fourth estate um, agency within the DOD. So um, I think it's it's good to advocate for yourself. And this is one way to um, do that is to learn about these programs and then bring it up to your management and or your training coordinators. So um, with that, I mean, Jenny, this has been so great. I, I could talk all day, every day about coaching and employee appreciation and just all things that you are so dedicated to. So thank you so many times. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time, your engagement with YGL, um, your service and just your, your continued motivation and support with YGL. Of course. It's my pleasure. It's one of those organizations, even when you kind of leave it, you don't really leave it. Uh, I still care deeply and, you know, really hope everyone um, found something useful in today's conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope we inspired you to take the next step in your career. Join us for our next episode by clicking the subscribe button.